What's going on, guys? It's Yahavi David Sinclair Speaks, and you are now tuned in to the Sinclair Speaks show. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast on platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything that you need in a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app and start your journey today. It's that time. What's going on, guys? It's your hobby, David. St. Clair Speaks. And you are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show. You are now tuned in to the St. Clair Speaks Show. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the St. Clair Speaks Show podcast. I'm your host, Yahavi Sinclair, and I am sitting here with another impactful, incredible guest. I am sitting here with William Mandrell. Um, this brother is a huge influence in what he's doing in building generational wealth. He has a new book coming out now, Cash Flow Secrets, coming out this January 28th. I, my mind is still in 2020, <laughs> but my mind and body is about to get in 2021. It's time to get right. This is huge because this is kicking off a brand new year for the St. Clair Speak Show podcast, but also a brand new year for you to generate uh, you know, your generational wealth by learning the game and not only listening to this podcast, but what I want you to do here is take notes because in this particular episode, I'm going to ask as much questions as possible. I want to know about the book. I want to know, you know, how to build wealth in real estate. How can we get started right now? Um, if there's any questions that you guys might have, you know, feel free to reach out. I'm going to also send these questions and forward it to him so you guys could sit down and have a conversation with William yourself and learn more about his book and how he's impacting lives. Without further ado, William, please, can you give our audience a three to five minute introduction on your brand, your business, and of course, what brings you on to the St. Clair Speak Show podcast? Sure. First of all, man, I just, I appreciate you having me on. That was probably one of the best intros I've, I've had you know, in a while. So um, I definitely appreciate you uh, you having me on as a guest and a um, little background on me. You know, I've been a uh, state, um, I'm, I'm in Boston, uh, been in Boston my entire life, uh, went to school here, you know, grew up here. Uh, been in real estate since 2006, um, 15, so close to 15 years now. Bought my first property in uh, in 2006. Been a landlord since. Um, I got into the business like most people do. Um, you know, use that FHA loan to get into that that first multifamily, that first two family. Um, FHA loans are beautiful. If you're not if you're not uh, familiar with their government backed loans, you can get in for three and a half percent down. So every hundred thousand dollars you spend, you're spending, you're putting a down payment about thirty five hundred dollars down. So that's going to be something different to everybody in, in, in different parts of the market. If you're in New York or Boston, it's going to mean a little bit more. If you're in Alabama, Mississippi, Texas, you might it might mean a little bit less. But that that program is something that's you know offered throughout the country. Um, and then from there, you know, I kind of just fell in love with the business. My grand my grandparents were in the business had always kind of pushed me to get in as well. And um, I'm glad I listened to him. When I bought that, that multifamily, I started getting, you know, those first couple checks. And I think my mortgage at the time was roughly $2,500. I'm living upstairs, three bedroom apartment. Um, downstairs, the lady's paying me roughly $1,750. Um, so you're talking about $2,500. She's covering 70% of my mortgage or 65% of my mortgage or something like that. And I'm looking at it and I'm saying, okay, 
well, the property is appreciating, it's going up in value, the neighborhood's, you know, changing. Um, as every monthly payment that I'm making, I'm paying down my debt. And if you pay down your debt, you increase your net worth. So I'm paying down my debt, property's appreciating. And, you know, like I said, eventually, if I moved out of that property, I can probably get seven, seven, seventeen hundred to 2000 or whatever it may be from my unit, which means that I'd be cash flowing as well. I'd actually be putting money in my pocket after my bills were all said and done. Um, unfortunately, things didn't go to plan. They didn't go perfectly like that. Those of you are, um, remember, those of you think back a little bit um, ago, 2007, stock market crashed. 2008, the housing market crashed. Um, it was probably one of the, it was, it was a rough time for me. I had dumped a whole bunch of money into the building. I probably put, you know, 40, 50, 60 grand of my own money into the building to repairs and everything else like that. Um, but, you know, I learned through school that, you know, um, and I learned through, you know, through reading through, you know, uh, following investors like Warren Buffett, that real estate markets and like everything else work in cycles. So I understood that we were, you know, we were headed downward, but one of the things that Warren Buffett preaches is, you know, when there's blood in the streets, there's opportunity, there's money to be made. You don't run in the same direction everybody else is running. When people are running away from the market, the stock market's crashing, real estate market's crashing, people are selling out. You look for opportunities there. And that's what I did. So despite the fact that I was kind of suffering on this one property that I own, 2009, I encouraged my wife to buy something. 2010, we bought another one. 2012, we bought another one. Uh, and some of those properties that we 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 bought in 2012, 11, those things have tripled in value. Um, and that's really when you're building wealth in real estate is when you can buy at the right time and you can kind of move into markets, not just buying at the right time, but, you know, just buying, buying uh, solid, solid deals. But to speak to the book, part of the reason I felt it was time, I, I had a great opportunity. You know, um, when I, I thought back to 2008, I thought about Warren Buffett and when the pandemic hit. March rolled around, daycare canceled, kids at home. Um, you know, I'm real estate construction projects are canceled. I can't do any work. You know, I can't go out. Everything's kind of on lockdown. I said, shit, are we headed into another 2008, another recession? Um, and that's when I said, I want to help people realize what this, what this means, what they can do. I, if I had this book in 2008, in 2009, I would have tenfolded what I what I've done, and most people are running going to be running away when 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 things like the pandemic hit, when they should be running towards things like real estate. Um, so that was kind of the release of the book, and that's kind of where I am today. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm holding somewhere around uh, 50 units right now, with the intention of probably doubling that portfolio size over the next couple of years. Okay, all right. So let, let, let's um let's really unpack that because. For me, I, I definitely I understand exactly. Well, I have some understanding. And for those who are new to this, how do you how do you begin? How do you begin? Because oh. there's so many ways to get started. But how right. does a newbie, you know, you know nothing. How do you exactly. get started? Um, I would say first decide what you want to do. Um, when you, when you, most people get into the real estate business, they they there's a lot of there's a lot of things pulling you there's tax liens there's wholesaling there's flipping flipping is all over hgtv yeah. and everything else there's two different ways and i'm gonna this is one of the things i talk about in cash flow secrets is flipping and wholesaling are not wealth building strategies i see this on instagram all the time i'm building wealth i just made this check those are income generating strategies there's two di there's a difference if i stop wholesaling i stop making money on a sunday when my construction crew is not at the project flipping the property i'm not making money 
Um, when you make, when you get a check from wholesaling, when you get a check from, from flipping property, the federal government comes in, they take 40%. The state government comes in, especially in Massachusetts, they take like another 7%. Um, FICA, Medicare, Medicaid, you make 50 grand, you're left with 25 to do something with, and then and the money's not working anymore. The difference between flipping and rental property is I'm making money as I'm sitting here talking to you, brother. That's what I'm saying to you. That's that's the difference between rental property and, and cash flow. People, how are you making money while you're sitting here on a podcast? I'm making money because every single day somebody is living in my property, they owe me more money, right? If you take, say that the rent is $3,000. Well, every day, that's $100 that you owe me, right? And if you break that down every hour and every minute, there's something that I'm, I'm generating money in my sleep. So that's the difference between... Uh, income producing property and building wealth. Rental property allows you to build wealth. Every day, these properties going up in value. Every mortgage payment that I'm making, if you look behind me, there's a bunch of bills on my desk. I'm making mortgage payments and I'm paying down the debt. But the mortgage payment came from the rental income from somebody else paying me that, you know, that rental income. So that's, there's a difference between income and wealth. And you have to decide which one is it that you want to do. You can certainly do both, but just don't confuse the two. More specifically to answer your question, how do you get in? You, the first, most people always get in um, as an owner occupant. You know, it's very difficult to get in, um, you know, putting 20% down or 25% down. You want to, you know, get yourself pre-qualified, talk to a mortgage broker. And um, I talk about this in the book as well. Banks are not the same thing. You want to talk to a mortgage broker, not a bank. Bank of America is great for my checking account. I don't want to get a mortgage at Bank of America. I got a video on my YouTube account, why you should throw away your, your, your Bank of America pre-approval um, it's trash. I won't go too deep into that right now, but talk to a mortgage broker. The difference is Bank of America has three, four loan programs and you and I are going to go into the bank. And if we don't fit into one of those three buckets, they say, no, you're not, you're not qualified. And most people walk away thinking that they can never get a mortgage. A mortgage broker is going to come to me and say, Willie, tell me about yourself. I'm going to go tell, give them here, here's what I have to offer. And they're going to go find me a mortgage program that fits to, to me. And that's how you get it. The other thing I can tell you about getting started is when you go to get pre-approved, most people say, I took a home buyer's program and I went to go get pre-approved. The mistake that most people make is they think that a pre-approval is a pre-approval. You should actually be looking at three to four pre-approvals for yourself. Because here's the difference. When you go get a pre-approval and, and what the bank hands you and they say you're qualified for $300,000, they are basing that on your income and your, your work history and your credit score only. When you're going to get approved for a multifamily, the bank now should be taking in consideration the rental income that you're going to be receiving. So I'll give it to you this way. In, in Boston, there's a lot of three families here. So if I was going to go buy a single family, I make 50,000 bucks. I might get approved for 300,000. Um, but if I'm going to go buy a three family, I'm going to tell the banker, I'm going to say, well, the average rent in, in Boston for a three bedroom is let's call it two grand just to make the numbers easy, 2000 bucks. I'm going to live in unit one. I'm going to rent the other two units out for 2000 bucks a month, meaning that I'm getting $4,000 a month uh, in rental income times 12 months is $48,000 a year. I'm going to take that $48,000 a year and add it to my 40 to $50,000 salary. And now I'm making, you know, what is that? $98,000 a year, which requalifies me for seven, eight, $800,000 now. And now I can afford a bigger home. So when you go to get that pre-approval, you should be asking and making sure that you tell your mortgage broker that you're going after a two family, a three family, or possibly a four, depending on your neighborhood as well. Man, I am like, yo, you just, you, you said so much different things that open different doors as you said it. Number one, I just want to go back to a point you, you said right away. You said 
in real estate, you're getting pulled from multiple different directions. Can you touch a little bit more on that? Because I experienced that when I got in looking at wholesaling, then I, you know, the short sales is by, there's so much. Can you touch on that? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's like any other business. It's like when you, when you, when people talk about their trade in stocks, I mean, you, you know, I, I, I own a couple of stocks, but I'm, I'm a buy and hold investor there as well. I get in, I find value. Um, when the stock market crashed and, you know, and, and it was very brief, I think in March or April, um, I looked at it and I said, you know, this pandemic is not going to last forever. What are the things right now that are going on sale? Like, you know, hotels and airlines and uh, Uber and things that are transportation. If nobody's moving, then transportation companies are taking a hit, but they're going to come back. And when they come back, they're going to come back strong. So I just looked, I went in and, and bought value things and I hold on to them. Other people are day trading. They're moving through, you know, the market and trading things at a rapid pace. Other people are, um, you know, doing shorts and puts and everything else. Real estate is the same way. There's a million different ways that you can get into real estate. There's hotels, there's commercial real estate, everything else. I think for most people, you just have to sit back and say, not that you want to be in real estate, but what are my goals and what vehicles within real estate get me to my goals? I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with flipping. You just heard me kind of shit on flipping, but there's nothing wrong with flipping, but just don't get it confused. Um, uh, flipping at the end of the day is still a job. You just, you just have a job in real estate. Wholesaling is still a job in real estate. You can be a doctor and take that doctor money and put it into buying holding. You can take the flipping money and you can put it into buying holding, but people confuse and they, they, they think that there's like, there's this myth out there that, you know, like if I want to buy and hold, I somehow have to start flipping and then I can use that flipping money to 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 get to buy and hold. There's there's no correlation there. There's no um, natural progression. Flipping is just a job that happens to be in real estate. So I guess to answer your question, hopefully this does. There's a million ways that you can pursue it. You just have to step back and say, what am I trying to achieve? I'm trying to build for me it was I'm trying to build generational wealth. I'm trying to build something that I can pass on to my children and make sure that they never have to grow up like I grew up. And me flipping houses didn't achieve that. Me buying rental property that I can own for the next 40 years does achieve that. That's, very, that's a very powerful thing. Um, you said so, you said so much. You, you said so much and there's so much that you said. Each little thing that you said has, has a huge ripple effect, which leads me just to my next question. Um, you mentioned hotels. I was just going to dive into commercial real estate. You know, What's your thoughts on that? Um, are, are there any things in the book that, that talk to commercial real estate? Um, not yet. So my plan is, is this, and I, you know, I, I, I have a lot to say in my experience in real estate and stuff like that. So this is one of um, a, a couple books in a series. So it's Cashflow Secrets is the first. Uh, Business Secrets is coming out later on this year. Cashflow Secrets is all about getting in, getting started, getting yourself pre-approved, checking your credit, checking your personal finance, um, learning the difference between mortgage brokers, banks, and then kind of scaling up in between two to 10 units. Business secrets is basically taking and now making it a business, how to hire virtual assistants, how to hire your first, you know, in-house assistant, how I hired my first property manager, um, you know, how I got a, a project manager to go in and do construction with me, um, looking at commercial real estate and kind of scaling out. So in that, that book, Business Secrets, that, that's when I'm going to touch upon more of the commercial items. This first one is uh, for your listeners who are just getting started and really just kind of wanting to get in the game. Um, but definitely look out in the next couple months and I'll be coming out with that next one to talk a little bit more about how to really scale and how I'm taking, uh, you know, how I went from 10 units to 50 units and how I plan to go from 50 to 100. 
I am so I am I'm so excited. And I you, you mentioned that, you know, you're sending me a copy of the book. I'm excited for the book. So it's already in the mail, brother. Like I, I'm excited for the book. <laughs> I'm really excited because the timing, the timing, the timing is impeccable, you know, to really sit down with you, have that privilege and, and really figure out, OK, what's the best way to go? But it, you also mentioned something. Why am I doing this, right? It's focusing on your why, generational wealth, the long-term. So it makes sense to, of course, buy and hold. Yeah. Um, I, I, I see, I'm in a Facebook group and I don't, I don't know if you can answer this question, of course, but um, I seen something where it's like, okay, so if you wanna go to S Corp route, you wanna go buy and, uh, I think it's buy and hold. Mm-hmm. But if you wanna go to LLC, it's more so buy and flip. Um, do you touch on that as well in in between both books or that's like- We, we do, yeah, we go into- okay. um, Asset protection is basically, you know, the category that you're talking about right now is how do you protect yourself? So there's a couple of different things that we talk about, um, you know, in those books. And for me, I own everything uh, in an LLC. I, so when I say everything, I don't mean, and this is where most people get, you know, uh, confused. A lot of people go out and they say, you know, I'm going to start Mandrell Co. LLC and I'm going to buy all my properties in Mandrell Co. And that's going to be my LLC where I hold my properties. I think that's a... Um, a faulty business plan. And I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm explain to you why me and my brother own a property together and it's one, two, three main street. Right. And, um, I'm a, I have a partner, it's me and him. And then me and you buy a property together and it's four five, six main street. Well, if I have, and let's say both of those properties are under the Mandrell company umbrella. If I have a, a somebody slip and fall at me and my brother's property and me and my brother are not taking my care of my property, your property is now affected as well. And hopefully that makes sense to you. Basically, whoever sues us is going to go after everything under that Mandrell company umbrella, right? So what I do is I separate assets by LLC. So for instance, you know, I own a property and it'll be 123 Main Street LLC will just own 123 Main Street. And I know most people think, well, the LLC is $500 in my neighborhood or $600 in my neighborhood is inexpensive, but you're in real estate. It's an expensive business to, to operate in. So there's a separate LLC for four, five, six Main Street. And that way, if something happens over here, I'm protected. Um, and this property is insulated. You can't go after that's just like saying, hey, McDonald's gave me a bad uh uh you know hamburger and it got me sick. So I'm gonna sue all of the restaurant industry. Burger King has nothing to do with your bad hamburger at McDonald's, right? It's a separate entity altogether. And again, I don't I don't know if this is true, but right, let's say for instance, um, there are uh, uh, a restaurant portfolios and most people would probably never realize that like cheese, and again, I'm, I'm you know, kind of uh, summarizing here, but Cheesecake Factory and let's call it um, Uno's uh, Pizzeria is owned by the same company at the end of the day, but you wouldn't have a problem with Uno's and Sue Cheesecake Factory. There's just no, there's no correlation there, but yet the owners are still the same. So that's the way I treat my business within in, in, in the real estate industry as well is, I own, you know, uh, 14 or 15 different individual properties uh, right now, and each one of those are in separate LLCs. And then if you, and then I expand it and go into asset protection. And I'm not an attorney. This is just, you know, the way I operate. And you can take things from the book and really get your own legal counsel, depending on what states you're in and everything else. But um, I also have uh, what's called umbrella insurance. So let's say somebody sues me for two million dollars, and they take the property from me in some way. They can't take any of these other properties, but the properties only only has another value of one point five million dollars. So they still they still are due another five hundred thousand. They can't attack my personal residence. They can't attack any of my personal money because I my umbrella policy 
um, covers all of that, uh, that extra thing, anything that they exceed outside of the, uh, the LLC. Uh, and then we also talk about life insurance and the importance of it. Um, you know, getting life insurance, and I know I'm droning on here, but getting life insurance really early in the life is, is super important. I've had life insurance since I was 30. And the reason even before I had children, even before I was married, I got it because I knew that those things were coming down. I knew children were coming down the pipeline. I knew marriage was coming down the pipeline. The reason I got it so early is because I was able to lock in my uh, a financial advisor told me, you know, and this has always stuck with me, you're never going to be in better health, or you're never going to be younger than you are today. As you you don't get really get in better health unless you're losing like 600 pounds or something like that, or 400 pounds or whatever like that. But you're you're typically not going to be in better health or younger than you are today. And the way life insurance works is, the younger you are and the better health you are, the cheaper it is. And again, I'll share with you, um, my wife and I both pay somewhere around uh, 75 to 80 bucks, cheaper than your cable bill, cheaper than your internet, for about 1.5 million dollars in coverage. Meaning that if I drop dead drop dead today. Uh, my wife would get cut a check, no probate, no court, no nothing for $1.5 million. And the reason that we did that is because um, we talk about this in the book too, is protecting that time frame um, where your, your life is the riskiest, right? And between the time that my kids are born to the time that they become adults and go off to college, I have a 20 year term policy. That means if my wife loses my income, I drop dead to get hit by a bus, my wife loses my income. She's now got $1.5 million to make sure that my kids don't need to get out of their schools and go to some, some, some new school. We don't need to sell our house. We don't need to change our lifestyle. They don't need to change anything. They're now mourning dad, but they don't need to also have a financial uh, uh, burden on their shoulders as well. So we touch upon all that stuff, including asset protection. Man, wow. Oh, man. Oof. Um, I'm trying to figure out where do I follow from that, you know, but that is, you know, that's spot on, man. You know, uh, life insurance is something that, um, you know, has recently, you know, definitely has caught my ear, especially because of Clubhouse, you know, talking to so much different people. So I, I kind of want to just piggyback for a second with all of, you know, with all that you mentioned, do you offer a program like an online course where, you know, anyone's following the step-by-steps and getting started in real estate as well? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's going to be, it's coming out soon. And um, I have actually had something out for a while, but I wanted to rework it because uh, there are certain steps and, and, and people get hit with um, just a, a fire hose of information constantly. I mean, you go, go on the internet and go on, you know, like I said, Clubhouse or YouTube and you, it's like, how, where do I start? How do I, you know, so I was doing the same thing to people. So I took a step back and I said, I really wanted to reorganize how I'm doing that. So now I'm almost doing courses that correlate directly with the book. You buy cash flow secrets and then the courses will kind of give you, um, so if I could take a step back that, you know, the way that most people go into this, they start investing, they go get an E-Trade account and they be like, I'm buying stocks, right? Well, if you don't have good health insurance, then you shouldn't be buying stocks. You know what I'm saying? Or if you don't have, if, if you don't have a, a solid foundation in terms of life and maybe disability insurance and some other things that are need, that you need to build a solid foundation, then all the investing stuff doesn't really, uh, you should, you, you got to build your solid foundation. So that's why, so the answer to your question, I stepped back and I reorganized my courses and said, I want to make sure people are building wealth in the right way. Um, so uh, we're, we're, we're re-releasing those courses and making sure that um, the steps that people take as you follow along the course, um, that pyramid, that, that foundation 
um, that you're building is, is, is being built first. And then we start talking about investing and all the other stuff like that. And I know it's, it's tough for most people because most people are like, I don't really want to talk about life insurance. I want to get in right into the nitty gritty of buying properties and everything else. But these are the things that I really wanted people to understand that one of the biggest things that takes people out, you can go ahead and, and make $100,000 in the stock market and have a good trading account. But if you don't have the proper coverage in the, in the, the, you know, the primary winner, you know, breadwinner in your house is passed away that, that, you know, everything that you did just doesn't really mean anything. Or if you don't have the proper coverage and you lose a leg and you need, and you're in the construction business, are you covered for that? You know what I'm saying? Or, you know, somebody in your family has a, an illness um, and you don't have the proper health care, are you covered? And then that, you know, all the stuff that you did in terms of investing and buying real estate just kind of washes away. So we want to make sure that the foundation is solid, um, you know, first before we start building upward. You said it best. Health is wealth. You said it yeah, best. Absolutely. So I, I do want to play devil's advocate a little bit. And I want to, you know, I want to know your take. What's your take on two questions, actually mm -hmm. short sales and um, hard money lending? Um, short sales are so basically a short sale is uh, for your listeners that may not know the terminology. It's basically you have a seller, right? Or you, you your individual, you owe $500,000 on a house. Um, but the house is only worth today, 400,000, right? So the house, we, you owe 500,000 and you probably bought it at the top of the market and, and you had an unfortunate situation or what ha sometimes what happens is there was a fire and instead of taking the, 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 the insurance check to fix up the property, you took the insurance check to go on vacation or something like that. Right? So there's a house, <laughs> there's houses worth 500,000. You, uh, excuse me, you owe $500,000 only worth 400,000. So a short sale is basically you going back to the bank and asking for forgiveness, basically saying, can I sell this house for $400,000? And because it's only worth that much. And you, are you going to forgive the extra $100,000 that I owe? So as an investor, there's nothing wrong with a short sale. You should absolutely pursue short sales. The only problem that you're going to have is it takes a long time. Once you put that, uh, that property under contract with a short sale seller, the bank doesn't say, yeah, we're going to agree to this in two weeks. There's a, an appraisal and an evaluation. And I've been, I've been, I've had money tied up in short sales for nine months, a year. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time, especially during a downturn in the economy, because there's a lot of other people applying for that short sale position as well, trying to get the bank to agree. And they want to make sure that they're not getting ripped off. Um, so they do a lot of due diligence and it takes a lot of time. So as an investor, certainly pursue short sales. Just don't think that that you might have to have four or five different properties tied up at once thinking that maybe two of them or three of them actually come through um, at the end of the day. The other side is, um, what do you ask me about short sales and what else? Hard money lending. Hard money lending. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah, hard money lending is, is popular when you're first getting into the business. Um, and I talk a little bit about this in the book as well. Um, you need hard money. Hard money has its place in the, in the, in the, in the industry, because when you're brand new, um, especially if you want to do a rehab or you know a flip or something like that, you don't have a resume, you don't have any track record. So a bank is probably not going to mess with you. A, a commercial lender or construction loan is not going to mess with you if you don't have any track record. So you go to a hard money lender uh, and hard money lender is basically going to give you ugly terms. They're going to give you 10, 11, 12%. Um, they're going to give you two points, 12 and two, you know, 10 and two is some, is some popular. Um, so you're not, you're going to see credit card interest rates on buying a house is basically what a hard money lender is. But you need them in the beginning in order to build a resume, right? So you do that. 
you do a couple deals with hard money lenders, you document the hell out of it, you take pictures, you, you show your profitability. I bought it for a hundred. I put 50 into it. I sold it for 250. I made this property, this profit. And then it becomes a certain time in your career where you really start to make money because you don't know, you no longer need hard money lenders. At that point, you can go to a commercial lender, your local bank um, or your local, not citizens, not, you know, Bank of America or something, um, you know, Boston Credit Union or New York, you know, financial or whatever, something local and say, I want a construction loan. Uh, construction loans tend to be about a point higher than your residential. So today, as we're making this video, I can probably get a construction loan for about 4% versus the 12% that I'd be paying hard money right now. And that's when you really start to make more money because now I can start to do bigger projects because my interest rate is cheaper. Or you're talking about, for especially for the projects that we're doing here in Boston, the difference between 4% and 12% over six months might be 30 grand, you know? So man, you're now taking that $30,000 that you were paying the hard money lender and now putting it back in your pocket um, just because now you have a resume and you, you you built up a little bit of something. But hard money lenders, you just gotta watch out. They don't care about you. They're not looking out for you. If you own a home right now, there are all types of RESPA laws and HUD laws that protect you as a consumer. When you go over to the commercial side, when you go over to the hard money side, those laws are no longer there. You There, there are sharks in the water and you gotta make sure that you request your contract early, you request your settlement statement or your closing statement early, and you really look at the numbers and question everything uh, and don't be afraid to negotiate. Bank of America says, we're gonna give you three and a half percent on your loan, very difficult to negotiate. Hard money lender says, we're gonna give you 12%, you better negotiate because they're probably, they're probably not giving you their best option right off the top. I was at a point where I was actually, um, you know, I was looking into, you know, inquiring about private lenders, hard money lenders, and seeing what's the best route to go. Um, I recently purchased a Airbnb course. So I'm with you on, on the rental, which leads me to, of course, my next question. So I want to know, you know, your, your take on Airbnbs. But um, yeah, I, I'm looking for, as I ask you these questions, really good questions, but I'm definitely looking for direction too, because I'm someone that, as you mentioned, as early in the, in the interview, multiple different options and you end up not doing anything. Yeah. So it's all about getting started and, you yeah. know, too much information you could overload. So I want to know your take on Airbnb as well. And what are you seeing now in the economy in real estate versus when the pandemic first started? Um, I, so your first question, Airbnb, I, I don't think it's a bad business model. Um, the only, the, so there's two, there's two sides of it. You're still building wealth. I would say Airbnb is still a buy and hold business model. You still own the property long term. It's just two different things. It's a little bit less passive, right? Because now you have to be, you have a lot more turnover. Every time somebody turns over, it might be three days they're staying there, it might be three weeks. You got to go in and clean up and, 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 and get it ready for the next tenant that comes in. You got to um, service whatever you need to service, make sure the bed sheets are clean, your front, you, you most likely have the place furnace. So there's a little bit more involvement in the Airbnb strategy than someone like myself who says, I'm renting you this apartment, I'm giving you the keys, it's clean, right? You move in, you move your own furniture in, you service everything yourself, as long as the heating and the roof is not leaking, um, then I'm good and I'll see you again in a year when we renew the lease. So same exact strategy, um, but you have a lot more, but you can make a lot more money, right? So for me, I'm gonna charge $2,000 for that unit um, where you might be making 3000 because every night or 4000 because every night you're turning it over um, or every couple of nights you're turning it over, but it's a little bit more work for you. So it really depends on your strategy. I'm a little bit more passive. 
would uh, would probably rather do the units, the volume. But if you build a great system around the Airbnb, you can certainly do that. You just have to maybe you have somebody else as a cleaner for you and you don't do your own cleaning. Maybe there's a website or something like that. I'm not I'm not too familiar with Airbnb, but as long as there's there's a system that you can uh, create where you can kind of do volume and not have to you know pull yourself back in every couple of days, um, then I think it's a it's a it's a great business model. Um, I got a lot of friends that are making that are in that side of the business making some 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 good money. Um, the only other thing I would say about Airbnb, I don't know how it is in New York, um, your listeners wherever else they are in the country, but in here in Boston, there's a lot of regulations around it. Um, we didn't like it, we did like it, we banned it, we weren't banning it. You know, it, it's just a lot. So there's a lot of things swirling around that you just got to pay attention to the regulations and new, new president coming in. Does he like it? Does his administration like it or whatever else like that? So. Um, Sorry, what was the what was the second part of that Airbnb and what else? Uh, the second part was what are you seeing in terms of the economy and real estate and gotcha. the beginning of the pandemic in terms of just now and where we're at. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so I mean, we like I said, last housing market crash was two thousand eight. Um, you know, we started to recover 2009, 2010. I know if depending on where you are in the country, like I said, I'm in Boston, I'm in New York. Um, you know, some other, some areas see, a, you know, the, the upward swing a little bit faster than some areas, some other areas. Um, but I would say by 2012, everybody was kind of on some type of recovery. 2012, we're now in 2021, right? So you're talking about we're 10 years past, um, you know, that, that upward swing pandemic comes in, stock market's doing well or whatever like that. So my personal opinion is this, and I'm not an economist and I don't have a, a crystal ball or anything like that, but my personal opinion is I'm still buying right now, but I'm very cautious. I'm buying only the best deals. I'm buying because the numbers make sense. Um, that is the other thing I would encourage you, you know, listeners to do when we talk about the difference between investing and speculation. Speculation is I'm buying and I know the property value is going to go up. I'm buying because the cash flow is there and I know the numbers, the numbers make sense, right? So the reason I like rental property is the, despite what the value of the property is, right? Let's say I buy something today and it's 500,000 bucks and it's it's spitting me off $2,000 a month in rental income or cash flow. Let's say tomorrow the economy starts to take a tumble and you know, in, in, in a couple months my property's worth 450. Though I've lost some value in terms of my net worth, my net worth has gone down, I'm still profitable on that property. The cash flow hasn't changed. You're not gonna see rents come down just because the market value comes down I'm still spitting off 2000 bucks a month. So I'm still able to hold all, hold the property, pay all my bills and wait for that next upswing. If I was 65 today, I would probably be looking at selling out. I'd be very skeptical about the market right now, where we're going. I'm too close to retirement, blah, blah, blah. I want to, but I, you know, for me, I'm 37 right now. I still have 30 more years, um, you know, 20, 25, 30 more years in this business. I can, I'm going to survive or not when you say survive, I'm going to see a, a, a three or four more cycles, right? Downward spin, you know, upward ticks, downward spirals, upward spirals. And in each one of those downward spirals, I'm going to be doing what the opposite of what the market is doing and trying to grab more properties because I know it's going to come back. Um, and then, you know, like I said, eventually um, there'll be a point where, you know, I'm, I'm going to try to protect uh, my, my retirement and maybe sell off some assets and then keep other assets for my children. But to answer your question more specifically, um, the only thing that I've really noticed right now is in here, and, and again, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Boston investor, so other people might have a different uh, you know, opinion. The only thing that I've noticed that's really uh, changed in the last 10 months since this thing started um, is banks have really tightened up. 
um, where I was going to banks before, they were saying, go ahead and do it. You know, um, go ahead and do your thing. Now they're saying, wait a minute, what are you, uh, so what are you doing specifically? How long is it going to take you now? And what do you think about this? And can we call this reference? So they have really tightened up a little bit because they are scared that, um, you know, here in Boston, especially in student housing with, with the, we, we're, we're a big college town, Harvard, MIT, BU, BC, Northeastern, um, with, with coronavirus and the pandemic, a lot of those schools didn't come back. So a lot of the landlords here that focus on student housing took a hit. They're down five, six percent, you know, in terms of their their rental income and everything else. So the banks are really cautious and they're trying to see, especially here, how that's going to affect us long term. But for me, I can tell you specifically, I'm in the uh, the Section Eight, um, you know, housing voucher market. That's that's my primary focus. I would say 80% of my tenants have some type of voucher, uh, whether it be Boston housing, metropolitan housing, or some type of other housing voucher. So for us. Um, you know, and people like me, we didn't see much of a change in our portfolios because as long as the city of Boston's still paying their bills, then, 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 then I'm good, you know? You know, you, you, you know, you hit something spot on. Um, Boston is really big on colleges. One, it is, it that's is. huge, yeah, yeah. man. Colleges and hospitals um, is what we, what yeah. we're known for. That is a huge ripple effect. That is, that is huge. Um, I want to ask you another question um, in terms, you know, of course, sticking in real estate for a little bit. Um, you, you touched on wholesaling. Have you worked with wholesalers, you know, scaling or was it all just rental or have you wholesaled properties? I've, I've wholesaled one deal um, and I regret it every day. Um, I, you know, I wholesaled one deal. I think I picked it up at 275 and you're talking about maybe five years ago, um, picked it, put it under contract at 275, sold it at 350 between me and my partner. So at the time, you know, we're like, dude, this is $75,000 rip. I'm like, this is, you know, it seemed like the right thing to do. I can tell you that property right now that we sold at 350 is worth probably 950 to a million all day long. Um, and that was probably five years ago. So at the time that $75,000 rip between the two of us seemed really nice. But we left about a half a million dollars, if not more, on the table in pure equity. So um, since then, I've been straight by and hold, bro. <laughs> oh, you know what? You uh, oh man, you said it. <laughs> you said it. Oh my gosh. You, you know, said so it. yeah, it's 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 tough, like I said. And so but on the other side, I have worked with a lot of investors, a lot of wholesalers that I bought property from, but I've only done one wholesale deal on the uh on on the seller side myself but I, I bought a bunch of properties and properties on the contract right now from uh from local wholesalers who are you know looking to make a name for themselves awesome perfect man you know what i'm glad that i'm glad to have you in my network my friend basically you know? basically yeah pretty much um <laughs> yeah I, you know i do i do virtual whatever my buyers want and clearly you know i'm going to attend to you of course and you know you tell me what we're looking for and you, you talk about that offline but um yeah man you know i've you, you said something, and I think one of the most, the most impactful things that we could do as human beings is learn from each other's experiences. And you said you left a lot of equity on the table with that. Yeah. And you, going back to something that you mentioned earlier in the interview, what are you in this for? You know, you're in for the long term. So it just makes right. more sense to go with the rental. But yeah. if you're looking for the cash flip at that time, five years ago, right. at that time for you, it made sense. So- right. Huh. Yeah, you know, you, 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 know, you and, got and, my and it's mind hard fired to say. up. I'm sorry. And, and, and it's hard to say, though, because at the time, like, 
I was I didn't like record what I was doing at the time. I probably needed to eat, you know. I mean, and everybody does need to eat, right? We need to pay our bills. My cell phone bill might might have been on the on the verge of getting cut off, right? Or you know what I'm saying? Or I probably had to pay that car note. So it's hard to look back and say, you know, I entirely regret it because I try to make the best decisions at the time, depending on you know my particular needs. But I do drive down that street on a regular basis. It pops up on my MLS, and I'm like nine fifty a million dollars for this property right now. And yeah, I mean, it's true. And we sold it, you know, like I said, we let it go for 350. The only other reason, um, no, I wouldn't even say that. I would say, yeah, it just, it, it just, you know, you can't really question what you're doing at the time. But the more you think about the long term, I think the better off you'll be, especially if you're young. If you're in your 20s and your 30s or your 40s, you know, really kind of think about the next 10 years. You're still going to need money. Um, you're still going to have, you know, a, a, a need for, um, you know, financial security. So if you can, take, you know, for me, I, I'm, I was always aggressive from the beginning. I had a hundred bucks, 60, you know, 60 bucks went towards the future. 40 bucks went to right now. That's not, that's not easy for a lot of people to do. Right. But I would say, if you get a hundred bucks, if you can put 20 towards the future, 30 towards the future, I mean, I think you'll be, you'll, you know, you'll be, you'll be well off. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. I, I like that 60 towards the future, 40% towards the right now. Yeah. I like that. I like that. So but how do you, you know, you, you have, you know, being successful, you know, it, it comes, you know, it comes with a lot. It comes with a lot of pressure, right. Mm -hmm. For some, but how do you unplug? How do you reset? How do you rewind? How, how do you stay so focused? How do you stay in your zone? Um, like, how do you well, do it? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, focus, that's focus, how do you do it, man? man? Is, it is, uh, I love this business. And I think that's the thing about it is it wasn't, I, I love, uh, it wasn't just about making money. It was, and I truly love to like go in there and just buy something ugly and just fix it up and tear it all apart. And I get the best of both worlds really, because I, I understand why people love flipping properties. They get to go in and tear some things apart and buy new appliances. You get to shop, you get to, you're getting paid to shop, right? I get to go to Home Depot and buy new appliances and tile and, and put my vision together. And somebody's going to step back and be like, that's cool. I, at this point in my, in my life, I get to have both because all, all the properties that I'm buying are, are, are beat up properties. I'm not buying anything at market value anymore. I'm going out and buying. Uh, my typical business model is this to give you, and again, this is not going to resemble the, uh, the rest of the country because I know, like I said, we're, I'm in a, a very high price market, but typically I'm buying a three family at about 600000 I'm probably going to put about $200,000 into that, that, that deal, and it'll probably be worth a million when it's all said and done. So I get to spend $200,000 in, in the tile store, the, the Yale at, you know, the, excuse me, the appliance store, um, wherever it may be. And then on top of that, I'm also creating equity for myself because at the end of the day, the property's worth a million and I only owe about $800,000 on the property. So every deal that I find, I'm probably creating $150,000 to $200,000 in equity just from, just from, you know, increasing the value um, on that property. So it's really the best of both worlds. But to answer your question, you know, I love what I do. Um, you know, in, in terms of unwinding, I have two young kids at home. I spend a majority of my time with them, one and three or going on two and four. Um, and this year, this last year has been tough, though. I mean, with the pandemic and everybody being in the house and just kind of just, you know. Um, but for me, I also love teaching, man. I, I truly believe, you know, for me, I'm, you know, relatively young black man, uh, you know, in America in a white collar business. And I think it's important for me to get myself out there um, and just educate the public and let people know. Um, and be visible and let people know that this is not something that, 
you know, uh, is reserved for somebody else. You can do this too and have it, you know, and have a certain level of success with it. I think that's what, you know, why I'm, you know, I'm on, you know, shows like yours and others and just kind of letting the, you know, the public know that, uh, no matter where you come from or where, where you, um, you know, I grew up in the projects here in Boston, my wife did as well. Um, so it's not like we were, I, you know, the only benefit that I had that I think most people don't is my grandmother did this and, and gave me a, a kind of a, a roadmap. Right. Um, but it's not like we were handed, you know, this, this company, this, this thing to, to, to run, we, we started up from her buying her three, me buying her two, we trading up and getting, you know, taking some cash out and buying the next one. Uh, and this is something that's repeatable. Um, something that's repeatable uh, indefinitely because there is no tech solution for homes, right? There's no, it's not like Amazon's going to come out with Amazon home next week and all, we're all going to be living in, in bubble. You always need a place. Real estate is real estate. We're always going to need a place to live. We have for, for centuries. Um, and I think that if you learn the, the business of real estate, it's something that you can pass on from generation to generation. Um, so I just think it's important for, you know, just get myself out there and just show other people that this is, uh, this is something real, uh, regardless of your background ways that you can pursue it you just have to step back and say what am i trying to achieve i'm trying to build for me it was i'm trying to build generational wealth i'm trying to build something that i can pass on to my children and make sure that they never have to grow up like i grew up and me flipping houses didn't achieve that me buying rental property that i can own for the next 40 years does achieve that So this is one of my favorite questions. And I ask every guest that comes on the show the same question. It's this one in particular. It's my favorite. How do you overcome adversity? Um, and hopefully this answers your question, but I've yeah. always been a type like my, my father and people always get confused about my story because they're like, well, if your grandmother was so successful, like what happened, you know, uh, what happened to the next generation? <laughs> And the, the quick answer is, and I talk about this in Cashflow Secrets as well, is my father mixed up in drugs. Um, she paid for him to go to college. He didn't go. Um, my uncle wanted nothing to do with the business. And she's in her 60s, going on 70s. My grandfather had died. He was, uh, you know, it was in the war and had gotten shot, lived with a couple of years with a bullet in his head. And um, they lost him. We lost him about the time I was five. So I think I was 11 or 12 and my grandmother just couldn't walk up and down the stairs anymore. Um, she had showed us kind of the ropes in terms of cleaning up and collecting rents and stuff like that, but we weren't old enough to, you know, take over any property. My father's off in and out of jail on drugs and everything else. So she, she decided, she was like, look, I'm going to, um, you know, teach y'all how to fish instead of giving you a fish. I think I gave your father and your uncle too much, um, instead of giving you guys, you know, everything, um, I'm going to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, teach you kind of the, or give you a model. And I, you know, I'm glad I followed that model. Um, but you know, adversity to, for me has always been, you know, um, I like, uh, I don't know. I thrive in a situation where people think I can't do something. So the idea that my father didn't go to school to go, graduate from, he, he went to Northeastern. I, I was talking to my brother about this last night and I was like, you think the reason that I graduated from Northeastern was by chance? Not nah, she was intentional. I wanted to, like I said, I wasn't going to follow in his footsteps. The reason I got into real estate wasn't, was intentional. But for me, I, I like the idea of when somebody doubts me, um, shit, that I mean, that, that just fuels it, man. I, I love it when people even, and I, sometimes I pretend 
I'd be like, oh, he looked at me the wrong way. He don't think I can do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I just, I hype myself up. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, that's just the way I've always been. I, I never, um, if you think I can't do something, I'll get it done next week. That's just always the way I've been. So. Oh man. Yo. And I tell you right. I, t- I can tell you right now that little clip, that, that's a clip yeah we gotta roll with that one because you know it, it's spot on you know uh adversity i i when i started in this you know journey and real estate wholesaling uh, i was doing a process of making cold calls and you got to have tough skin for this business the yeah, one and i do. learned that right off the bat i got people cursing me out don't you ever call me again i'm gonna find yep. you i'm gonna break your fingers <laughs> i'm getting all types of threats man it was thre- like really yep. threatening me and I'm like, you know what? There has to be another way. There has to be another way. And real estate wholesaling just can't be it. And through the process of, let's say failing, I can't say I failed, I didn't fail, but attempting so much different doors started to open up. And I just started to really, I, I just started to listen and, and understand and listening to what you said today, it just really makes sense. It just goes back to my why. You know, I'm a dad, uh, my daughter's about to be two in April. Um, that's my why, right? Generational right, right, wealth, right. playing a long term. So why would I want to do wholesaling, right? I mean, obviously for the passive for right now, but to go long term makes sense. But you hit so much like just right on the head, right on the head, right on the head. Um, which just leads me to my next question, because I, I really want to kind of like switch gears and ask you a little bit more about the book, if you're okay with that. Yeah, I want to know absolutely. What, are some, what are some things that in the experience of writing this book, what has that taught you? Um, during writing the book, um, that you can simplify a very complex process. Um, I think that's what it is. It, it took me some time to, to, to go through and document what do I, I had to step back and ask myself the question. And like I said, if I'm getting started today, what are the things that I need to do? Um, and you know, get myself pre-qualified, understand my credit. Um, a lot of people don't pay attention to their first personal finance. They have no idea what their net worth is at any given point. Um, you've got it, you have to understand, you know, I look at net worth and I know I'm going off on a tangent here, but um, you know, uh, you know, I looked at playing like playing the game of Monopoly. I used to love playing the game of Monopoly. And people always ask me, you know, what is your next move? Well, you have to determine where you are in the game in, in order to know your next move. And you know, that's what you know, understanding your net worth is. Um, but dude, I, I go off on so many tangents. I forgot what your question was, bro. I just, <laughs> you good, man. <laughs> you good, man. You good, man. No worries. Um, but the, uh, but the book, all oh, the process, no, you said the process yeah, of building the, the book, man. Yeah. I just, yeah. that, you know, that, that you can simplify the process that, that, and that's yeah. really what it comes down to, man. The real estate, there's a lot out there. There's a lot of information. Um, but cash flow secrets is really all about just kind of how do I build something that's going to last. And that, and that, and, uh, and that's what I wanted to do. And the other reason I'm doing it this, this early in my life was not just because of the pandemic. I, I already had this kind of on the docket. The, the reason that I, um, I wanted to kind of uh, battle all the objections. And if I waited till I was 55 to write this book, young brother coming along can say, dude, I'm 25. That was 30 years ago. Game don't work like that anymore. Right. And I wanted to be, I didn't want that to be the case. I wanted to say, look, I'm 10 years ahead of you. The game is still the game. 
you know, the game's been the game, right? It was the same, it was the same game when my grandmother was there, it's the same game when I'm there. So I wanted it to be more of a connection and I felt like I can reach more people, you know, and, and, and it's hard for me to tell you the truth because I'm trying to, you know, uh, put out a book and then also do my own real estate thing and then raise kids and stuff like that. And sometimes I want to take some things off of my plate, but, um, I think it was important for me to put it out at this point because, um, I'm not as disconnected from the, 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 you know, the next generation as I would be if I, if I waited till I was, you know, after my career was over. Cause then, you know, like I said, somebody can say that, the, you know, this is a, this is a different time. And he did that back in 2010. No, the, the, the business is still the business and you can do this, you know, um, you know, just a, a short while after I'm doing, I'm, I'm writing about it and I'm teaching you exactly what I did. What are the three, I'm sorry to just hit you with another question. No, no, no. no. Three emotion. What are the three most important things that someone should know getting into this industry? If you could only limit it to three, if you can, but if you exceed and you want to give me five, give me five. But if there are only three, you could say. Three, if you can say is you got to stay focused. You got to wake up every day with that hunger. People want to, this is not a nine to five thing. This is not a, you know, on the weekend thing. If you're a landlord, if you're an investor, you're an investor at two o'clock in the morning on a Saturday, you're an investor at, you know, nine o'clock in the morning on a Monday. So get that, get it out of your head that this is a job. This is some type of, this is a, a lifestyle, right? I mean, this, that's number one, you have to stay, stay focused. Um, and if you stay focused, um, you can do, you can do some amazing things in this business. Uh, number two, I would say the power of leverage. Um, you have to learn money. And I'm not talking about, most people think that they understand money. They, they really don't. Uh, they make decisions emotionally. They make, they spend money emotionally. And then they just, they try to justify it with logic later on, but learn as much as you can about money. Learn as much as you can about the economy. If you learn how money flows through the economy, if you see it flowing, um, and that's the way I look at it now. You, once you learn enough about money and the flows and the Fed and the interest rates and stuff like that, I'm not saying you need to be an economist. You can also, you can see ways that you can extract, extract money from the economy as it flows, right? I know immediately pandemic hits. Okay, so what is the, the, the government going to do to help stimulate the economy? If, if restaurants are closing and, and hotels are closing and this is closing, then we're going to see some type of pullback, Right. And if we see a pullback, the government's going to try to stimulate the economy to help things doing. What are they going to do? They're going to lower interest rates. And if they lower interest rates, what am I going to do? I'm immediately going to go start refinancing all my properties and, and, and dropping my debt payments down um, before the pandemic's over. So the more you learn about how things flow, the better off you'll be. Um, and, then, and then I would say number three, um, you know, uh, number three, networking. Um, I would say is the key to to your success. You know, at the end of the day, it's cliche. People have heard it a million times, but your network truly is your net worth. You're part of my network right now, right? And if I need something in New York, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out to you. You need something in Boston, you're gonna reach out to me. You build up a network of people, and most of the stuff that I've learned, the stuff that I'm talking to you about right now, is not necessarily stuff that I've read in a book. The book gives me the foundation to go ask intelligent questions to somebody else. But most of my success, how I got connected with commercial lenders, how I've uh, found a lot of deals is just through my network, going out there and telling everybody who I am. This is what I do. This is what I believe in. I'm passionate about it. If you have any deals, you come back to me. I'm pretty, I wouldn't doubt if somebody on this podcast right now hits my website and be like, oh, I'm in Boston too. And as a matter of fact, I'm a real estate agent. So it's just networking is getting your name out there, being consistent. A lot of people is like, I want to be in real estate, um, but they're quiet about it. They don't, they don't want to, they, you know, they, you know, they want to talk about what's going on with the game or, you know, whatever. I'm out there at Super Bowl party. 
I don't care if the Lakers are on, if the Celtics are on or whatever, I'm talking about real estate it, to, to a point where I almost annoy people, but I don't care because <laughs> at the end of the day, I want people to know who I am, what I'm about. And you know, that that's really how it is. Go out there shake hands, let everybody know you're, I don't care if you have not, if you haven't done one deal, if you want to be a real estate investor, you go out there, shake hands. I'm a real estate investor. I'm Willie. I'm in your neighborhood. You got any deals? Come give me a call here specifically what I'm looking for. Here's my business card. Here's my email address. Uh, and just go out there. And then part of networking is also offering value as well. It's not just, Hey, bring me what you have, but it's also, how can I help you? And one of the biggest things that I've been able to do and make relationships is just connecting other people. Um, just going out there and just saying, Hey, you know, I know, you know, Peter, you know, wants this and Paul wants this. How do I connect these two parties stand off? And then Peter's going to appreciate it. Paul's going to appreciate it. And it might be a year later. Um, but that connection is going to pay dues and dividends for you uh, over time. So I would say those are the, those are the three biggest things that you can do, um, you know, to really get your 2021 started off right. I, I agree 100% with all three, especially the last three, the network you know, yeah. definitely defines your net worth, right? Yeah, yeah. This is why I love podcasting and what I do because it's networking. I have a huge, I have a huge network. And with the experience of wholesaling, what was hindering me before was I, I had buyers, but I didn't have buyers that were serious, like multimillionaire buyers, right? People that have a legit portfolio, people that are, you know, established. So Networking is essential. It's essential. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely, man. So yeah, no, that's, that's the key. And like I said, I would, I would, you know, like I said, uh, you know, leave you with this. If I, if I leave it, but I just, I truly believe that anybody can do this. Like I said, my grandmother moved up from Macon, Georgia to Boston in the 1950s. You know, she had a sixth grade education. Um, there was no college there. There was no high school. There was no formal training. There was no deal analysis. There was no cash flow analysis. There was no bigger pockets. There was none of that. She bought property. She rented it out. She paid off her mortgage. She used the cash to go out and buy more properties. That's, I mean, that's the simple, that's bringing it back down to the basics. People just get flooded with so much information. If my grandmother could do it, then anybody else can do it. You just got to put your mind to it. I'm man, like, you don't, you don't even understand. And I said this before we started recording, like I'm, I was really hyped for this interview for a reason, <laughs> but, um, sure. yo, I'm, I'm definitely excited, man. Oh, oh, this is just the beginning. I think what <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, I think what we could do, we could go, we could go anywhere from this point. You know, we were talking about clubhouse and I kind of want to touch on that for a little bit. Um, it's, it's great. It's a great platform for networking. Uh, it's the, in my opinion, it's definitely the new Black Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So many different like-minded individuals and uh, access to, you know, potential, you know, clients, prospects, people that are looking for exactly what you're looking for. Um, yeah, you know, hosting a room, I, I'll definitely look forward. It, you know, I got to add you once we get off, but um, connecting with you on there and, you know, getting more people to connect with you and tune in to, and subscribe to this episode in particular what you're doing right now and i want to connect with you in the future as well for like you know um maybe like an online thing where you could definitely talk about this and have people opt in um someone was just telling me about uh, eventbrite affiliate marketing as actually my last guest not to ramble but um a, a lot of things this year one of the things that i'm definitely focused on and this podcast in particular is dipping into my network, using my resources. You know, I know Catherine offers this. Hey, Catherine, I think it's great for you to talk about click funnels. You know, yeah, absolutely. But, man, um, yeah, like I said, if you wanted, if you, if you have a room set up already and you know, like I said, you wanted to bring me on as a guest or something like that, I can, I can certainly do that. That way, like I said, we can just, I can, you, if you already have the platform, I don't mind, you know, coming out and speaking to that, uh, 
that existing platform that's already there, man. So how, how, however I can help, bro. That's, I mean, that's, that's part of the network, man. That's part of us, you know, collaborating together and seeing how uh, things play out, but whoever I can help you definitely, um, you know, reach out and we'll see what we can put together. I want to ask you this. What, what was it like making a million dollars? Because I, I you know, I want to know, because I, I stay up late. I fantasize about it. <laughs> <laughs> for me. Yeah. I just um, want to know. Like, does, it, it, you know what? I tell you this. I, I, hopefully, I can give you this as a good analogy, right? So, if you look at statistics, and I look at national statistics, and I look at uh, uh, local Boston statistics, and you know, um, I think I, I can't remember. Like the average net worth for someone my age at the time that I hit it was like two hundred thousand or something like that, or whatever like that. And even in, even in, regardless of age. Most people don't become, you know, like I said, multi multimillionaires. So I, I'll give it to you this way. When I was younger, I'm a young black man and, and Boston has its history of, uh, of all types of things regarding race or whatever like that. So you go into, you know, upscale restaurants and, and my wife is, uh, is Vietnamese. So we go into, you know, upscale restaurants and there's always this thing like, are they, are they judging us? Are they looking at us? So do we belong here? Do we have, you know, this person probably, you know, drives an escalator, whatever like that. Once you hit that certain place, um, I'm not saying that all that goes out the window, but you start feeling a lot more comfortable about yourself <laughs> going into any environment. You know what I'm saying? So when I go into wherever now, I'm like, you know, statistically speaking, I belong here. Y'all, you know what I'm saying? There's a couple of y'all that don't belong here, if anything. So I guess that's it just it just makes things. Um, I would say, like I said, Biggie said more money, more problems. And that, that you know, he was, he, he was dead on. Like I said, the problems don't go away. It's not like life all of a sudden becomes easier, but you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a feeling of um, a little feeling of relief. Like I know, like I said, I, there was a point where I was working 90 hours a week. I was like, I'm never going back to the projects. I'm never going back to being poor. I like the, I like filet mignon. I like steak. I like lobster. I'm never going back. And you hit, you sit, you start to hit to a certain point where you're like, I'm good. I'm not, I'm not going back. Now it's just a, now it's just a matter of how far do I want to take it versus, um, you know, am I going back? And even if I lost everything today, just the shit that's in my head, you know, um, it is, it, it won't allow me to go back to any, any level of poverty at this point. So. Facts. I agree with you on that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's what's in your mind. Yeah. it's what's in your mind that's the most powerful thing yeah, yeah. And i mean it, like it I said, clearly got you where you're at yeah i mean it's just like i said you continue to educate yourself you continue to uh you know you know be better and do better and then you know the other thing that i would you know i would leave with is is you know there's a lot of people that think you know um well well if you got this and you got that why are you still going out there and you know doing whatever well I still have nieces and nephews and cousins and mothers and step and and and, and uh in-laws and everything else. And despite the fact that I've got some, some level of success, right. There's still a lot of people that I need to help out there. There's still friends and family and everything else. So the money at this point is not necessarily all about me is how do I secure my financial future and then look outside of my immediate family and saying, how do I make sure everybody else is eating as well? How do, how do I make sure the kids that I grew up with are, or have, and that's, that's one of the things I've started doing in the last couple of years is the kids that I grew up with, you know, pulling them into the business. How do I, they can swing a hammer. They can, you know, drive a truck. They can do whatever. How do I get them into the business? Help me finance this or that and get your credit right. And making sure that the people that surround me, um, it's not just me eating, it's the people that surround me as well. I don't know if you saw it, but um, 
Kevin Hart had a, uh, you know, um, a special out. It was like, I think it was like, how do I fuck this up? Or how do, how do I, whatever like that. I can't remember what the title of it was, but it was about just him and his crew around him. And I was inspired by that. I'm like, I was, I got off, I've watched the last thing and I'm, I'm hyped because I'm like, this is what it's about, you know, buying your crew, you know, the, he bought his crew cars or whatever like that. And just everybody had a job, you know, he's got, you know, dude boss with him that runs like his sports and athletic side. He's got, you know, um, this guy over here who's promoting him and he's this is his, uh, his writer and everything. So it wasn't just about him. It was about how do you bring up the people or, you know, around you as well. And that's, that's really where I'm trying to take it now is how do I just um, making sure that I'm not at the top by myself, but, you know, making sure that, like I said, there's uh there's others up there with me uh, eating as well. Man. Man, you you old you man, you old school, man. You old school, like <laughs> you like an OG, OG man. When the OG dropping gems, man, like I, I I'm really listening. Like in this interview, I'm really listening, ears open on game because you're really dropping some gems, you're dropping knowledge. Um, look, I, I've interviewed people, and I could always tell when I'm not gonna say when someone's withholding information, but no. I always know, right? And you, you you touched on so much different things, man. And and I'm just grateful to have you on the podcast. No, I, I, like I said, man, I appreciate you having me on. And like I said, the goal is to, you know, just to get the, the word out there. And I really believe that, like I said, we're the next generation, man. I, I'm looking at it like, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Martin Luther King or anything like that, but I just feel like, you know what I'm saying? We go out there and preach the word, man. And, you know, like I said, he was talking about civil rights, you know, and now, like I said, our generation is time for us to start closing the wealth gap and start, 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 you know, time for us to start teaching each other about money uh, and about real estate, about stocks, about um, other inve investing in businesses. And, you know, I want to branch out as well. I want to start looking at other opportunities and vending and, you know, everything else that's out there. Um, in terms of other business opportunities. But yeah, man, I think it's it's time for us, you know, uh, you know, to uh, start pulling, you know, each other together, pulling each other up and just kind of uh, and making our, you know, making a name for that next generation. Yeah, you know what, what motivates this podcast episode even more is, you know, what was going on yesterday, right? You right. know, you got people... Look, I ain't gonna even talk about. I, yeah. I try to not to talk about politics. Yeah, that's all you have podcast. to do is what's going on yesterday, everybody. Yeah, what was going on yesterday? Y'all <laughs> know what y'all talking about. Say. Climbing up them Capitol walls, yeah, but um, we you can talk say. about that. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know what? I I use that uh, to be honest with you. Um, I definitely use that as uh, hell yeah, that's motivation right there. You know, to fuel that Black Wall Street and like, look, yeah. let's go here because to be quite honest with you, I've learned more from Black entrepreneurs, successful uh, Black businesses, more than. Uh, the white man has taught me. And mm -hmm. I also learn from experience too. And we learn right. from taking action and we also learn from failure. But um, we have the opportunity to go out here and create the lifestyle that we want. And it's all based on our decision-making. And you, you got to tap into that mindset. You got to tap into your network. Um, th this episode, and I, and I really want to leave you with this, man, because you really, you don't even know what you did. So I'm just, I just, that, that, that's I the thing, you don't even you, know what you did. And I just want to say thank you and give you your flowers in that regard, because, you know, you, you came on a podcast and you reached out, sponsored by Fiverr. You gave me the opportunity to, you know, learn a little bit more about your story and, and your backstory, the book, of course, and, and your business. So I want to ask you one more question before, before, before we end off. Um, what are some things that people could look forward to in 2021 with your brand, your business and the book and, and everything else? 
Uh, with me, um, I would say, you know, hop on the YouTube channel. I'm at, uh, you know, forward slash W Mandrell or YouTube uh, forward slash W Mandrell. I'm dropping like 300 educational videos this year. That's my goal is to really just kind of put myself out there. Um, we're talking about everything from, you know, the bad side of being a landlord and all the, you know, the BS that we go through um, with Landlord Wars is a series that we're putting out there. I'm taking you through all of my rehab, all of my properties. We're actually closing on a, a three family tomorrow and we're going to get the video crew out there and just record everything from how I evaluate deals to how I look at the property to did we did we successfully hit our numbers. So I would say first, you know, you know, subscribe to that channel, get out there. Um, there's going to be a lot of information about just everything from wealth building. Um, definitely look out for, you know, cash flow secrets uh, dropping on Amazon on the 28th of January. Uh, and then there's a couple more books coming right after that. You know, I got a, a lot of stuff up in my, you know, a lot of stuff in my head that I really want to just kind of, uh, you know, you know, put out there um, and hopefully help a lot of people. So, you know, um, and then, like I said, if, you, if you're looking for, you know, a free consultation, I do 30 minute calls um, with people just kind of, uh, I do some coaching, do some mentoring, um, but to kind of see if you're a good fit um, on my website, it's mandrelco.com backslash or forward slash coaching. Um, you can hop on there, sign up, open up my calendar, get on a 30 minute call. And then we can talk about your personal finance, your personal situation, um, and seeing if you're a good fit for one of our programs as well. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, man. You know, just to be a resource, man. I, Again, I, I don't even know how to, I don't even know what to say. I don't know how to say thank you because it's <laughs> like, look, for me, I just want to say this for me. And this is why I love podcasting. When I have that, it's like, it's more than a job interview. I get to, right. okay, what made you a CEO? Right. Oh, how do you respond to this? And when you study successful people, it's, it's just a way of the habit. And it's so, so interesting. And I listen to your story. And again, I just want to say thank you, man, because you definitely to see someone that looks like me doing what I want to do and establish and, you know, creating and cementing generational wealth. That's huge, man. That's inspiration, man. So oh, and, and I, I, got, I took my hat to you. Salute. No, and, that, and that means a lot to me, man. That, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. That's that's the, that's exactly what I want. I mean, the goal with the book and all this stuff is. I mean, the, the money, like I said, I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not people. I don't know if anybody's an author out there, but you don't make a ton of money writing books. That's just not, that's not, <laughs> as you want to get rich, that's not the, you know, the best path to go. Um, the goal really is I want people like yourself and other people to come back five years from now and say, dude, I read cash flow secrets. And that was what the jumping off point or that pushed me. And that, that made me go into this and dive a little bit deeper. And, you know, like I said, and for me to kind of look back and say, you know, I helped some people do that. Um, and it was, you know, like I said, I've been doing this in Boston for a long time, but part of writing a book and part of opening myself up on more of a national stage is because I understood that there were other people in other states and other, you know, parts of the country um, that also needed that push as well. So that, that's, that would be really, you know, the killer for me is, you know, having people come back a few years and saying, hey, I read that book and uh, I appreciate what you did. And like I said, and putting yourself out there, um, but yeah, man, that, that's, that's really it. So I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate you having me on. So. Thank you. Thank you for uh, stopping by. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for Cashflow Secrets to actually get here and for me to get started. I'm jumping back into wholesaling myself. So I'm definitely, if there's any, like, I'm definitely going to message you, of course, and ask you, of course, more so what you're looking for, but I'm excited to read this book. Um, that's going to be the first book I'm going to tackle this year. And I want to start off with yours. So cool. Cool, man. I appreciate it. It's, it's, it's definitely tone. on the way. I was, uh, yeah, it was dropped off it. at the post office not too long ago. So it'll be, it'll be there. It'll be there shortly. Um, 
but yeah, man, like I said, if, if yeah. I, if I can help with anything, definitely reach out. And, um, like I said, uh, you know, um, you know, we'll definitely connect. Oh yeah. I I'm definitely going to connect. So I want to wrap this up guys. And I want to thank you for streaming this episode of the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. I want you guys to click all of the links that are in the description Cashflow Secrets will be available on Amazon January 28th. The link is in description. Click the link. Click the links to his website as well. Tune in, subscribe, sign up, get on the consultation call, order the book. All this game that you learned in this podcast interview and you ain't going to buy the book? Come on now. Don't do that. Schedule the call. Schedule the call. There's so much ways to build wealth in real estate. 2021, I wanted to, you know, really talk to you guys and tell you, look, now is the time. Okay. You see the guests, you see what he's doing right now. You see what's going on. William Andro, multimillionaire, cash flow secrets. It's that time. This is the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the St. Clair Speak Show podcast. Now streaming on Audible, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, Overcast, Radio Public, YouTube, and Facebook. I'll see you in the next one. It's that time.